Hello, it's David here with a quick announcement before the show. Do you remember how, back when we played Ghost Lines, I talked about how you could easily make a campaign out of that game? Well, although I was ignorant about it at the time, there is actually a podcast that was doing exactly that, and still is. Aptly titled, Ghosts on a Train is a well-edited and delightful actual play podcast full of ghosts and trains. And I know I keep belaboring that, but come on, it's, it's a winning combination. There are 40 episodes in and the train hasn't finished yet. Check out their promo at the end of today's episode. And thanks for tuning in for a retrospective on The Watch. All of the questions featured in today's post-apocalypse were submitted by listeners through either Twitter or Discord. So if you haven't joined us on either of those two platforms and have questions you'd like to see us feature in the future, be sure to follow us there. There will be links in the show notes, as always. I hope you enjoy. Later. Either we'll get it there or we won't, and it'll be fine either way. Truly. (laughs) It'll be fine or it won't be fine. It'll be fine or it won't be fine. Uh, Anyway, uh, since we're already (laughs) almost an hour past starting when we said we were going to (laughs) start, let's just get the ball rolling on this. Let's. Um, To to start off our post-apocalypse, I'll just uh, say, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the TOTA podcast, uh, Trials of the Apocalypse. We're here doing our very special segment, The Post-Apocalypse, where we do a retrospective on the game we just finished playing. In this case, The Watch, which if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, why are you listening to this? Uh, this is going to be absolutely ridden with spoilers. Go back and listen to the show right now. <laughs> uh, tr- trust me, it's a great time. You'll You'll come back here and you'll be like, damn, now I'm really interested to hear what they have to say about it. And if you're listening to this right now and you aren't interested in what we have to say about it, why are you listening to this? Let's <laughs> get this episode. Uh, Jeez. I know. But if you are here and you are excited about it, then uh, we welcome you. Uh, we have the whole cast back with us. I can't remember if last time we did this, we did a reintroduction of everybody, but we could do a quick go around the room. Um, why not? Dana, you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Dana. I played. I played. The annoying bitch, old grumpy grandma woman, <laughs> Teddy. Should I say more or is that enough? no? No, that, okay. that's, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm just laughing because, like, I did call you a bitch. I mean, Passat called you a bitch, but yeah, no, yeah. it's okay. I mean, you, 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 Jell can also call me a bitch. It's, uh, you just need to get that out of your system. Well, I don't think you're a bitch, Teddy. Though, yes, Teddy is a fucking bitch. Yeah. She is. <laughs> Uh, so, so Jell, as you just mentioned, you played Pasak. Yes, uh, hello. I'm Jell. I'm also Angelica. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I played yeah, yeah. Well, playing Angelica, yeah. playing Pasak. Wow, the what a multifaceted of, actress. The layers of performance that Jell went through for this role really went, I feel like, underappreciated, and we should circle back to that. She's a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> wait, no, wait, wait. Uh, in this arc, Joe was played by Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we had the budget for that. <laughs> oh, we did. We don't. Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
We just took clips of uh, of his acting and just took it and okay. I definitely, it. I definitely thought you were going to say clips of his hair and cloned him. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. That's uh, better. I wish that I had come up with that, but see, I wasn't going to say that on Mike because I didn't want them to know. Ah, <laughs> oh, shoot. I'm sorry. Well, listen. <laughs> we'll take out the kill squad together. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Good. Cool. Uh, anyway, Nix, you next. Yeah. So Nix here, uh, player for Erdo, our uh, stoic. Is there a word for someone who's overly sentimental? Sentimental. <laughs> stoic, sentimental. Sure. <laughs> that English is good enough. Uh-huh. Uh, and Emma. Uh, I am Emma, and I played the extremely uh, sentimental weird girl, Fee. <laughs> She's not like other girls. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a lot uh, of charms and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you could say that Fee has a lot of charm. Yes. Uh, and I, I guess I'm David. Uh, I, I ran the game. I, <laughs> I did my best sure. to. <laughs> I'm, I'm who, who knows. <laughs> I, the keeper. That, that was a fever dream. That whole game. God, for real though, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, speaking of the game, uh, our start off, our, our kickoff for the post apocalypse is to do a reflection. Uh, on the system. And so I'm going to limit this discussion just a little bit to more be about the watch itself uh, and a little bit less about the story. We're going to have a section after this for stars and wishes and then behind the scenes where we can talk about some of that stuff. Um, But this is more for what we thought about the watch, uh, what what we definitely did wrong with it, uh, which I think for the watch is a much shorter list than for most of our games. Um, What did we do wrong? That's the thing. In fact, like I, I think the only thing, and this is less of a wrong. Uh, I mean, I know, I know that uh, literally in the last episode we talked about how we were cl- kind of clipping the denouement and yeah. you know, blowing off steam, etc. Just oh, true. Oh, that's true. We had a hell of a time recording already. So yeah, I, I would say, and you've pretty much pegged it. That's the only thing I would say that we didn't quite do wrong, but like we could have done more of. Is is the watch has even more you know, left in there for what to do after some of those climactic stuff that we just sort of skirted by for time mostly. So mm-hmm. um, if we were to play more of the watch, I'm sure we would see some of that. So, um, but generally, uh, what did everybody think about it? Um, we can go around the room in a particular order, or if somebody has something, you can just shout it out. I have uh, gel your hands up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I remember um, we talked about, I can't remember if it was after the game or if it was during the game and it got cut from the audio or it was in the audio and I forgot. But uh, I recall that we had discussed how like it seems like you could kind of like cheese the game by like doing a bunch of stuff to build camaraderie before a mission. But that that's actually kind of a cool thing because the way you build camaraderie is by having like interactions that are like you know, interesting role play stuff so that the the game in that way, like, sure, you could like cheese it to like build stuff up before the mission, but it would be the game makes it so that that's almost like an intended thing. Like, like you're you're doing what the game wants you to do, even if you're doing it just to like boost stats for the actual like fighting stuff. I mean, I don't know. I think I think that's really cool. I think that it's cool the way that's implemented as like something built into the system. For sure. Because you roll for, like, opening up to someone, uh, like, sure, you can kind of cheese it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, like, succeed even in that. 
Oh, true. It's really cool how they have put some mechanics behind some pretty interesting role play stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I really love how the watch exemplifies the PBTA design pattern of working with metagaming to make the core game stronger. Yeah. Uh, the very mechanics incentivize you to metagame by playing the game in an interesting fashion as intended and designed. So I feel like the watch is very tight uh, with regards to, I don't know, how it relates to that core PBTA philosophy. Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought that was a fantastic feature of the watch. And just in general, it's the kind of system that it the the mechanics itself and i think we talked about this a little bit in the setup um but you know retrospectively looking back at it looking back at playing it i think it's very much the same the system just feeds into the game yeah like in 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 a way that the system does not get in your way the system helps you tell the story the system is part of the game and in a really lovely way I I have mixed feelings I think about the mission phase like it it was very different it was a different kind of tension to know that what the consequences would be ahead of time um because like we knew that it wasn't going to be that bad but um but we also didn't know exactly how it was going to go down um and I don't know so there was it was a different kind of tension. Um, I don't know if I love it or not. Um, I think it's very interesting and I think it's a cool and different way to do things. And I also think it's great because it takes the focus off of things like combat and, you know, brings the focus more to the tension in the drama rather than in the, you know, more military side. Um, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, but, um, but yeah, it's very different. It is very different. Yeah. It's neat. Um, I would love to play the watch more, like even if we're pretty much just for getting a better feel about that mechanic. I really liked that resolution mechanic that you you already knew before going into it how it was going to work out. I thought that dramatic irony was really good. Um, and also it it's really like freeing for the role play, because like if you know what the consequences are. You can, instead of focusing on like trying to get the consequence you want, you already know what the consequence is. You already know what the result is. So instead of working towards that, you're working towards how do I make this as interesting as possible? Yeah, no, that's a good Um, point. Mm -hmm. And I really like that part of it. But if that was the whole game, it would be a very different experience. I like the fact that Mm -hmm. that's localized to the mission section. It's gamifying the narrative. Yeah. And it's so like for the missions, the narrative itself is sort of gamified. And then for the game, it's like the interactions are what's gamified, where it's like right. all of that interpersonal conflict. That's that's the game outside of that. Yeah, Hell definitely. Yeah. Like it very much feels kind of almost inverse of what D D is, because like, you know, like what is it, 95% of the D manual is about combat or, or whatever. Like it's a very combat mm-hmm. heavy. Game like even 5e compared to a lot of like Power by Apocalypse stuff is, and that's not even the crunchiest yeah. version of mm-hmm. D. Like, and this is very much the inverse of that, where it's it's interesting because I yeah, the outcome, the broad outcome of the mission was determined beforehand, but it definitely did not feel like anything that happened was scripted. Oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Like it still felt like I think there's this 
sort of interesting. Dice aren't the only element of like, you know, randomization or, or a way that a story can branch off. Like there were definitely consequences that we ended up having to deal with that had nothing to do with how well or poorly. If anything, I feel like in some cases rolling really well made you like, okay, well, I can't screw anything up so I can just do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And of course, True. like that, that created a lot of really fun long-term consequences. Because just because you don't, just because you succeed in whatever you were trying to do doesn't mean that what you were trying to do yeah. doesn't have consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think the dice in this case determine, you know, aspects of the outcome, but not like all of it. And I feel like it, like, there's this kind of almost misconception a lot of times and a lot of RPG systems like, well, I rolled well, I rolled well, therefore everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just means you succeed at what, like there's been plenty of cases, like if a player rolls well at trying to do something that's going to cause harm to someone that they shouldn't result in causing harm to, like that's not a success, like, or a yeah. good thing in terms of the narrative, so. And you know, great, you rolled a 30 to try and bash down this 10 foot thick door or something, you know? Um, Dice aren't everything. Yeah. Uh, I Actually, I, th- I think a great example of a successful role doesn't necessarily mean like um, some sort of perfect, you know, you're always, especially in PBTA, your success should be uh, limited to the nature of the role. Um, and a, like a great example, just because I've been playing some Monster of the Week recently for what's coming next in the show. Um, in Monster of the Week, if you roll to protect someone, a successful roll means you take the damage and like a, a very successful roll means you can take less damage, but like a successful roll for that means like, yeah, they don't get hurt, but you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And if this was like D&D or something, I don't think that's how that would work. Right. Like that's the stakes aren't arrayed that way in that game. And so that's one thing I like about PBTA is like the stakes for every roll are variable. Um, even if it relies on the same air quotes stat or, or ability, um, the move itself is what dictates what what the bounds are of a yeah. success or a failure. Can I can I bounce off of that? Just yeah, uh, like the <laughs> comparing uh, the watch to D anD D. I mean, like uh, this is getting a little bit into like the actual story we told, but like m- taking all of those cogs and you know, like, like doing, you know, what Teddy did, what, what Pasak encouraged Teddy to do to set them free like that is not something that could ever have happened in D and D there's it's, it's like, and kind of, I feel like goes back to Nix's, uh, what she was saying about like intentionally metagaming, encouraging the story forward in ways that like, wouldn't, you know, stuff that wouldn't be possible in D and D is possible in these games because, you can yeah you know be be more than just like i roll to do a thing right mm-hmm. i i have a great sum- summation of that good pbta systems transform the player from an a, from a spectator into a co-conspirator of yeah. the story yeah i feel like that's kind of what I meant by saying that we were gamifying the narrative. Yeah. The game, yeah. the game becomes building the narrative as opposed to winning the fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit now because we, we've I think we've really fleshed out some of our, our feelings about the watch as a system and, and how it slots into the 
the PBTA canon. Um, how do we feel about the game itself? Let's do some stars and wishes uh, where we'll we can give stars to literally anything and anyone from the game uh, and then wishes for basically like, what would we want next? Um, let's start with a round Ramad and then we'll just sort of devolve into whoever's got a star. Um, we'll go in the same order that everyone's been on my screen. So Dana, you got a, any stars from the um, game? Anything to gosh. Um, I mean, yeah, a lot, but, uh, <sighs> I definitely feel like the end bit where like, it was nice at the, not the end, but, but sort of the climactic moment, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, Jill just said a bit ago of Pasak basically telling Teddy to actually like, you know, do something good for once. Um, <laughs> I liked I liked that every character was involved in that because it was very much a thing where like, if any of the other three hadn't been involved, Teddy probably wouldn't have tried to do that because like you know Erdo had to physically restrain her, <laughs> right. and then Pasak had to call her a bitch. But also like I think <laughs> having that, you know, having that very human stake with you know fee and her brother and everything like that it was a very nice bit that it was like all four of the characters being involved in a very meaningful way in some way shape or form and i really liked that yeah that was awesome oh hell yeah it didn't just feel Pressure like, like even though sides. it was yeah even though it was teddy doing the action it definitely didn't feel like it was just one character having the spotlight or whatever which was nice no for sure mm-hmm. how about you Jill? um oh god i've got stars for everybody um but um, I think I'll give my first star to um, I, I think to to Nick's playing Erdo just for like I feel like just being such a good like leader figure. Um, I mean I don't know like when when we were doing all of the the setup and stuff and talking about who would have what role like. I was terrified of the idea of like the hierarchy and and you know being any kind of in charge. And I think that you handled it super duper well. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me because I don't know, we'll get to my stars and wishes, but yeah. Well, it's going to start from you next. You're next on my order. So, okay. Um, star, uh, at Dana and Teddy for everything. Basically, holy shit. Uh, every scene, every bit of acting, on frigging point hashtag goals you're awesome <laughs> not to mention the music yeah, oh yeah. my god yes awesome star 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 for hey, the music quit, yes. quit stealing my stars next <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but uh contrastingly to you angelica um i feel like my biggest wish is i don't know i i think the best way to codify this wish is that I want to play a different, like a very different character in whatever I do next with Toda. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like Erdo and Rowan shared a lot. And I feel like, I don't know. Um, I felt like some parts of my, so let me put it this way. Some parts of my performance felt flat to me or too simple, but. I mean, I don't know. Um, Jill, we're married. You've gushed about it. Um, I mean, I, I love how much you put yourself into your characters, and I like the way that that comes through. Um, but I mean, yeah, I totally get wanting to play something that's different from yourself. Mm-hmm. I also think, like... Uh, I, I mean, I've listened to both, and I agree that those two characters that you've played are, are similar, but I think 
given that especially Pasak and Teddy are very like large personalities. It's kind of a similar thing like on Madeline because we have like two characters in Ashton and Dane that are very, very like big and loud and everything. And you can't have every character be that. That's I mean, you, you can, sure. but it's not as, uh, it's not as effective. And, um, and so it actually really does work. And I feel like someone who is in a leadership position like that kind of has to be almost that sort of a person a little bit, because if they're, if, you know, they kind of have to be a bit of a linchpin. And I think that character really worked for that. So I think it was cool. Thank you. And this is something that I've actually uh, struggled with some, having played quite a few characters for Tota at this point. Um, Something that I felt, especially after playing Marion in Brindlewood Bay, was like, I felt like I was playing really boring characters. Hmm. because the thing is, the things that I brought to those characters, I didn't see as like meaningful or or different because they were things that I am used to doing, like I things that I naturally do to a lot of extent. The thing is, like, I am also a person who makes decisions and am like I I have my own way of seeing the world. And so to somebody listening to this, some of those things are going to be novel and and interesting, even though they don't feel that way to me. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that that's an important thing to remember when you're playing characters, even if you're playing characters who align a lot with how you how you approach the world. That's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, I thought I, you know, I love Spot. I love Marion. Um, <laughs> who else did you play? Catterjune. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I love Catterjune. <laughs> Yeah, in in the same vein of that, before we we move back into stars and stuff, um, I think if you have a cast where everyone is sort of this very big type of character, um, you're you better be writing a comedy because that's really the only thing that supports it, right? Um, like <laughs> I in a in a dramatic story like The Watch, I I don't think you could do something terribly sustainable, like. You'd get a few interesting scenes, but it would just be so there'd be so much competition um, for. It feels weird to say like top billing, but like I, I feel like in in the watch, what I really loved about our playthrough of it, I'll throw a quick star out there, is just that I feel like everybody came to the fore at different parts in the story. Yeah, um, I I really don't feel like there was any character that like sort of sunk to the background or anything like that. Yeah. Um, everybody had their time where they rose to the surface and were absolutely critical. And uh, and I think that that's... I love that. Also, I want to throw a star to David for uh, storytelling instincts yes. in that. Mm-hmm. I think that it's very possible that somebody could have. I think it's very possible that Fee could have uh, if you hadn't kind of shaped the mission so that it brought everybody in. Mm-hmm. Um, and like pushed everybody to take action or to have feelings about what was going on. Yeah. For sure. Thank you. Uh, I, I think that the watch was, is definitely the game that I spent the, the most sort of concerted time uh, thinking about specifically how I could bring the characters all in together. I think the only other one that I spent as much time on and and I didn't end up actually 
getting that much prep done for was for ghost lines where I thought about some stuff, but I didn't really write anything down. And then it just, <laughs> it just sort of worked. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with the watch, I had like kind of like two or three different scenarios that we could have walked down um, as far as story. And each one would like have brought everyone together a little bit differently. Um, and the one that we ended up going down, I really glad we did. I thought it turned out amazing. So hell yeah. Really happy with it. Hell yeah. I'd also like to throw a star to the system because I really like the watch. Also a star to the book, to like the the physical yeah. copy of the book, which is beautiful, but also just the I I had strong feelings as I was reading through it, uh getting prepared for the game cuz it it is written really beautifully and like the art is gorgeous in it and just the the core ideas underpinning a lot of what the game is going for. It's really so thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Quick, quick, complete curveball. I would love to see what a sci-fi watch campaign would look like. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, but I'm just a it, sci-fi fiend, so. It supports it. That's yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, your your clan lands could be out in space, uh, a set of satellites. Battlestar Galactica, basically. Yeah, it, it could be, you could do so many things. Like, we, we played the setting, I would say, pretty vanilla. Um, and, oh man, I think we played the watch the most vanilla we've played a setting. <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, yeah. <laughs> which feels weird, because like on the one hand, we were we were so in control of this narrative. Mm-hmm. And especially with all the clan setup questions. Yeah. As, as, but as far as the setting is concerned, we just answered the, the questions as the book as written. We didn't really deviate much from sort of the inherent uh, sort of world building with it. And we just stuck with it. I think that also is emblematic of how strong the watch is as a system that air quotes generic fantasy could turn out so good, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I I wanted to say that uh, one another star to the watch itself for the way it has you. I mean, I know that other PBTA games do this, but like but the watch does this where it 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 has you build camaraderie with people like building your history doesn't just like uh establish your character's connections but it also like gives you camaraderie which is you know a mechanic in the game um i like that there's a mechanic for the history building but i also just love the fact that with those history building questions it establishes so much personality to the atmosphere of how our characters interact that like brings to life Again, it's something that I feel like is so missing from D&D where you just have a bunch of people that just decide to go do a thing together. Um, yeah. Whereas... And like, know, if you have a good DM, then they might have you build those relationships. Right. Either before the game or as it goes on. But yeah, it's it's actually something... I mean, I feel like it's something that we kind of missed in Ghost Lines, which is why we ended up doing Fuck, Mary Kill. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. No, you're right. Uh this this was like advanced fuck Mary Kill. Also, we didn't do <laughs> fuck Mary Kill for these characters, and we have four characters, so I think we should do that at some point during oh, uh yeah. this post-apocalypse. Okay. Uh, well, all right, all right. I will I will try to keep up a decent enough pacing that we can just do fuck Mary Kill at the end. Excellent. Okay, good. <laughs> uh so we'll we're dwindling a little bit on time for the section, but I I want to just do a quick any like a sort of a lightning round of stars for everyone. Uh I 
And Nick's already touched pretty extensively on some of the great stuff that Dana brought to the game, but I have to do a, st- a special star for the music for it. Yes. Uh, it, oh, God, it's so good. It's so good. If you, you did amazing. Thank it's you. It's so good. truly. It is. It is. Uh, I was very happy for it turned out. <laughs> like, I don't really know how much more to elaborate on that. It's just so good. Just if you listen to it, it's, you're just like, damn, this is good. And that's the appropriate response. because, <laughs> um, And it's thematic and it, it's, yeah. All right, uh, said lightning round, lightning red. Uh, so, so uh, for for Emma uh, with Fee, the the bit with the charms, you you took what was yes. like part of a move, and you you turned it into the narrative. Oh, that was so and, good! Yes. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, it, literally, everyone was making callbacks to that shit at some point in the story because, like, it was so such as like this neat little facet of Fee's character. And I really loved that bit. So start for that. Um, start to uh, gel for for okay. So so Pasak, right? Uh, <laughs> P- Pasak the 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 horny horny them. Uh, the Vembo. Yeah, the Vembo. Yes. Uh, I uh, when at first you had proposed Pasak's character, I thought if any character was going to like throw a massive wrench in like the dynamics of this group, I thought it was going to be Pasak. Because just like I didn't know how that was going to work out, and that whole scene that happens there in the beginning when you're like confronted by uh, confronted by Teddy and Erdo shows up, and like how Pasak was just so defiant and all of that, yep. just like <laughs> laid out this beautiful tension that paid off all the way to the end to the closing scenes. Oh hell yeah! Uh, hell so yeah! I thought that was great. Um, well, thanks. And yeah, I just it's so cool to see how. People can weave stuff into the story. So. Yeah, actually, I want to touch on that a little bit, too. You mentioned, Jell, that like you were really terrified of the the hierarchy. of. It. Oh, yeah. And I feel like you did a really interesting thing where you took that fear and you turned it into a character development thing for Pasak. Right. Where they uh, they I think there is some fear in them of the hierarchy of like being beholden to everybody else's orders Um, for sure and so i really love that you can see that the way they deal with that is to like confront it is to punch it in the face (laughs) (laughs) pretty much Mm -hmm. yeah pasak's just a just a big old vembo doesn't know how to deal with anything so just punch in the face yeah uh (laughs) And and my my last little lightning round star for Nyx, uh, for Erdo, is that there's the moment in the climax of the story um, where uh, Dana, as as Teddy, has taken the circlet and is going to do the thing. Um, but when she's explaining it to Erdo, um, at first, when at first blush, when she explains it, Erdo's like, I sort of see what you're going for. And then she basically is like, yeah, we, we can't trust the brass with this. And like, you know, the whole system, like we can't, you know, they're, they're too weak minded. And there's just this moment where you're like, oh, fuck that. Like, <laughs> Erdo just like turns on Teddy. And that's something that since we have this from the beginning, actually, there's this uh, like understood trust between Erdo and Teddy. That's like almost weirdly there because they do have kind of clashing personalities, but like they have clearly uh, from all of the role play this this bond of trust. And then it just gets to this point in that scene where you're just like, nope, that's not. I'm not going to lean into that part of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip on her. I have to. Mm-hmm. And that character decision just is part of reason why that whole scene ends up so yeah. good. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah that, that scene would have been a lot less interesting, I think, if it had just been, okay, we're going to try this thing and, you know, we're on board with it. The fact that it was very much Teddy deciding, like, all right, no, <laughs> I'm going to do this. And it, it, it worked because I feel like I, I really did like the relationship between those two and that's something I wanted more of. And I was very glad um, I got to work in the whole bit about, like, Teddy... Um, kind of gesturing to like part of Erdo's armor, like you know where we got that piece from. You have made pragmatic mm-hmm. decisions like this before, uh-huh. and because mm-hmm. I and I, I I think the thing I don't want to waste too much time on this, but basically like I think that there was and it was hinted at it a few times, like when Erdo was being like a good leader, where Teddy was I don't know if jealous is quite the right word, but definitely. Teddy has that line about how not everybody gets to be loved. And I think that there is this bit where she resents a little bit how Erdo gets to pretend, in her mind at least, pretend to be like this upstanding, you know, commander when Teddy knows some of the more difficult decisions he's had to make. And I think that that was a good distillation of that conflict and it worked out really well. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to actually stick a pin in uh, that line from teddy that that is the title of the final episode uh emma actually had a really cool analysis on that that we were talking about the other night i want to save that for the next section behind the scenes um where we'll talk about that for a minute but before we get there uh we've heard a wish from from nix for kind of like how she'd like to be involved and and do something a little bit different with her next character in toda um i wanted to ask everyone else uh for any wishes they have uh preferably like one each just to keep it to time but if you have anything more than that that you want to include go ahead I, I go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I'll I'll oh. go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead. <laughs> Canadian standoff. Nope. I'm gonna. I am American, and I you will charge it. forward. Go for it. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, I wanted to see. I feel like the relationships we got to really explore. We got to see a fair amount of Pasak and Teddy conflicting. I already mentioned we got to see Teddy and Erdo. And we also got to see, I feel like Erdo interacted a lot with all of the characters. Although that is, I think the two characters I wanted to see more of were probably Fee and Erdo because I felt like Pasak and Teddy drove a lot of what happened, which is fine. It's, I don't think mm-hmm. that was bad. And as I've already mentioned, everybody got involved. But I would have liked to have seen more, or I would like to see more of those two characters. And I would like to also see specifically, like I think Teddy and Fee didn't get to interact as much, but I felt like it was interesting because most of the interactions that they had other than the part where I mind controlled your brother were relatively (laughs) positive. And I think one thing in particular, I had this idea for a scene that because I got led back in chains, didn't get to happen. Um, Win some, lose some, but uh, I wanted to have a moment around the fact that Fee didn't, you know, want to kill her her fox companion. Because we had, we had established that whole thing. It never really came up too much after yeah. the setup. But the whole idea of the getting tossed in a pit of spiders and coming back out. And I wanted to have a moment where Teddy would be like, would actually understand why Fee hadn't killed the fox. Because in Teddy's mind, that's not a fair fight. Like, if you're going to kill something, you 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 know you put yourself in a situation where both of you have equal chance of dying. So yeah, of course you didn't want to do that. <laughs> so I I, just, I I would have loved to see more interaction between the two of them and more of Fee and Erdo specifically. But uh, you know, part two maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about you, Jill? Um. I think that, I mean, okay, so all of the world building stuff that we did was phenomenal. And even the stuff that didn't come up, I think, contributes to the fullness of the world that we were inhabiting throughout the game. But 
I really do wish that both the giant spiders and the tapestry had come up in some way. Um, That that was alt plot number two. Sorry. uh, Giants and the tapestry. Both were going to come into play. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, maybe maybe we'll do it. Maybe we should do a bonus content with the alt alt. Oh, yeah. That'd be interesting. (laughs) Where we just play the game again, but a different I'm yeah, still gonna I be a bitch. Cool gonna, I, I am a bitch in every alternate universe. <laughs> you would expect that, yes. We uh, we we had the bit in the setup uh, where we defined also like there was this dark spider god, the Shadow Weaver. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh yeah. And, and I, I want. I had a whole path where we could have leaned a lot more into spiritual elements. Um, and you probably would have seen more of Fee in that one. Yeah, I think. Well, I think. Man, the whole game, I was just like load balancing the whole time, like trying to. Yeah. To, to to juggle the right with the right things. I don't really know. I couldn't point you to like a pivot point where we decided like where we started going down one specific path. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure I could do that. But um, I do know that like if we had gone down that route with the way the story had progressed so far, I think it would have ended up super fee and Teddy heavy mm-hmm. um, because of how some of that stuff would have devolved. Um. Anyway, that's a, a a little behind the scenes yeah. bit, I guess. Uh, uh, Emma, any wishes? Uh, I am fascinated by the offer that Teddy made to Pasak. Yeah, yes, yes, use their charm in a more like a more pointed way. Uh, and. I really want to see what that looks like. Yes. I I also badly want to see Pasak's them fatale arc. <laughs> oh my god, yes. yes. Them fatale. That's fantastic. Thank you. That, yeah. I appreciate that. I, I did like that bit because I was thinking like it's way more interesting rather than Teddy just being like, ah, f- fuck this person for you know, mm-hmm. but being like, hey, okay, like, because she's very utilitarian. So to be like, this person is persuasive. I I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yes. I think there's a really interesting arc that could happen for Teddy where she really does, like, not just look at Erdo with this sense of jealousy or, uh, uh, I don't know. uh, Chafing? I don't know. Something like that. Uh, But, like, specifically in the way that she's a leader and instead sort of takes the reins on that and tries to take maybe both Fee and Pasak under her wing a little bit. Yeah. Because <laughs> the thing I thought about it, and we'll probably circle back to this in some way, shape, or form, is that Teddy's... I like... When I play characters, I like to basically... I like to find aspects about my own personality that are important to me and then find something that's key to holding that together and then take it away and see what happens. And with mm-hmm. Teddy, like... I, Teddy's whole, you know being hell-bent on authority and structure and discipline. that Those aren't actually the things I disagree with on her. I don't know if that, what that says about me, but I it's more... There's a quote, I think it's from Shager, which is... I, I like that he says, it's like, it's at the risk of sounding silly or something to that effect. Um, I believe that every great revolutionary is motivated by love. Um, and I, I really tried to do that with Teddy where she I, I I do believe that you know trying to change the world for the better often requires 
making a lot of decisions, which from the outside may look really unpleasant or even morally dubious. But I think that if you, you have to have those values at the center of that so you don't lose yourself. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to do with Teddy was to have someone who recognized the need to win, but had kind of lost sight of w- why. Um, like she knew what she needed to do to win, but she didn't really know why winning was important outside of its own sake. And I think it would be fun to see more. I think what she's afraid of most is like caring about anything. Cause as long as she doesn't, <laughs> yeah. then it's, you know, it's whatever, like even dying doesn't scare her that much. But I, I, so it would be interesting to like, you know, develop those, especially I think the relationship between her and Pasak would be really interesting just to see what happens if she starts to care about anything or anyone. And then, is afraid of losing it right. anyway. Mm-hmm. There at the very end, there's a little bit of, uh, I feel like um, the next part of this story is kind of Teddy gets suckered into being a real leader. Yeah. Uh, oh, like, no, yeah, that would be I mean, great. Especially, especially with Erdo's promotion, she would probably be busy for a while oh, being like, shit, hello, here's how to that's let the right. shadow into your squad in a productive and controlled fashion. <laughs> and, oh. you know, Teddy, I could see like an arc happening where... Erdo is kind of off screen by and by for a bit. And then Teddy is, you know, next rank. Get it together. I want to see Teddy have to go through sensitivity training. (laughs) (laughs) I love the proposal of that because it was so like, I just had this scene of like, her her about to just be a bitch. And then Erdo just looks at her and Teddy's just like. Uh, so let's, let's drift now into some behind the scenes stuff. Uh, one, just like be thinking a little bit about like anything, uh, relating to either like how you engaged with the story or just like literally that happened. Uh, somebody, anyone who's listened to our bloopers reel, uh, that's available on our Patreon, by the way, we have a Patreon, uh, you know, uh, $3 tier, you get all our bloops. Uh, and we have bloopers for every episode and, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that phrasing. For for three dollars, you can get access to all our bloops. At the five dollar tier, you get access to the super bloops. (laughs) (laughs) Uncensored bloops. Uncensored bloops. Uh, So, but we had just gotten a uh, not quite a, I guess, kind of a puppy. He he was about five months when we got him. Or five months. Uh, and we just got him like literally the weekend before we were recorded. And we didn't have anybody who could help us dog sit particularly uh, when we were recording. So he was just like in the room with us the whole time. And there are a lot of dog related bloopers. <laughs> Hell <laughs> yeah. Neptune is a sweet, sweet boy, but he is not aware of what it wh- that he needs to be quiet. You know, he, he doesn't know. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't have any. Ideas, he doesn't so. have any recording uh, manners. Yeah. He has very few in the way of any manners. So he. <laughs> He invited himself onto our podcast as our producer. Um, he mandated breaks pretty regularly and that sort of thing. A uh, good producer in that way. Um, so that's like a little behind the scenes detail. But one of the ones that I wanted to bring up uh, was, Emma, you'd been talking about sort of how we settled on uh, that line for the title of the fifth episode. Because we'd, we'd almost gone with uh, Pasak's line um uh, uh just desserts you're just desserts you're just desserts oh i uh, briefly and... i just wanted to say i really like pasak's voice because with the voice oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you that that's another oh, and i feel like you. it got stronger the more as i was listening through I was like that you definitely could tell you got more comfortable with it it was really oh yeah 
I just want to very briefly mention that the voice came from the fact that at the time I was listening or I was watching Hilda, Mm. uh, the cartoon, and like they all have that accent. (laughs) And I'm just like, and I didn't practice ahead of time. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go for something that sounds like that. And then we sat down and the first Pasok line I said was what it was and went from there. Yeah, That's another wish for me. Different voice. Next time. Sorry, Emma, you were going to say things. Yes. Uh, when I was listening through the finale again, um, specifically a good portion of that takes place in Teddy's cell. Um, and the thing that struck me is that when she says that line, when she says not everybody gets to be loved, that's after everyone in her squad has either come to see her or given her some sort of some sort of talisman or some sort of note or like I don't know fun bakes her a pie like <laughs> yeah it's, it's really interesting how wrong she is yeah but how right it's really important that she is that that that's what she thinks yeah I, I was talking to David about this this kind of ties into I guess wishes a little bit in terms of what I wanted to explore, but exploring the relationship between her and, and Parda, um, I think there was this sense of like, in her mind, you know, I care about this person. Clearly, you know, if her brother takes over, that's going to be bad for us. I don't want to have to ask her to, you know, kill her brother. So I'm just going to do it. And then, you know, she'll hate me and that's fine. Uh, and there is that you're you're right. Like she she very much like I said she is afraid of caring about other people and about being cared about. And I, I honestly hadn't thought about it in that regard, which I guess shows how in character I was. But that is a good analysis of that bit because people are actually, despite you know how awful a point she was to everybody, like people are trying to care about her, and she's just very and I think stuck. That's- yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why she makes the decisions she does by the end. Yeah. Is because she can sense on some level that she isn't alone in this. Yeah. Uh, and a, a cool other bit with the episode titles. Uh, we did. I was wondering if we would manage it, but we did manage it with the end uh, that every character gets a episode title. Yeah. Uh, even even me. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the biggest oh. character yeah, well, of all. <laughs> that's right. No, I I, I got uh, parallel and perfect. That was my line. Oh, that's right. Um, that but good. yeah, we we get uh, it's been a year with Fee at the beginning, and then what's the second episode? Um, you, slightest bit of hope. It's Pisak. Yeah, yes. yeah. Slightest bit of hope. So oh Pisak, yeah. Oh uh, man. It's parallel and perfect. Um, and then it's Erdo's line. Um, end this, or I end this, or I yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we get to end with uh, Teddy, which ironically isn't the last episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really funny. Also in the bloopers, uh, actually, I think it actually made it into the episode because I couldn't because it was part of a a scene that had to stay, and I couldn't just peel it out. Uh, there's a bit where like we call the what is episode four the finale yes. because we thought oh, we yeah. thought it was the finale. Yeah, uh, I remember we thought your, we were there. I remember your comment mid episode in the mid yeah. This is the finale. <laughs> I love that you called that out. That was so funny. Well, that's because like when I was originally thinking that we were going to because I knew we were going to do uh, what we did at the end. Right. Which which ends up being an entire episode, episode five. Um, but I knew that we were going to do that. 
because uh, way back in Apocalypse World, we did something sort of like that, a, a sort of a, a where are they now type of thing um, after the climax. And that ended up being just, you know, like, I don't know, five minutes maybe total uh, for for all the characters. And it's like this really nice end cap and we get to build up to the whole thing with with Max at the end and it's good. Um, so I wanted to do that for the watch as well because I, especially as we were moving into what turned out to not be the finale, but I thought was, uh, we're building into that climbing action. I was like, oh, this would be really great to get through this, get past it, and then do it just a little, a smidge of denouement, just a little bit to close us off. And instead we did an entire episode's worth. And I'm not mad about it. It was great. <laughs> no, it was beautiful. Um, but oh, so it definitely was unexpected. I, I think it worked so well, honestly. Like, I was a little worried about, like, when you said that the denouement was going to be its entire own episode. I was like, is that going to be boring? But it was not. Oh, it was no. fucking awesome. <laughs> Check Jell's incredible pronunciation of denouement, which puts all the rest <laughs> of ours to shame because she studied French for years and years and years. Denouement. <laughs> I, I never, this is totally pivoting, and um, if this isn't something, you know, we can edit this part out if it's private or whatever, but I, I remember um, after the first day of recording, uh, Jal brought up, like, hey, I feel like it's very hard for Pasak to kind of, the character to kind of work in this really hierarchical setting, yeah. and I really appreciated that you said that, because it changed a lot of how... I, I was trying to be more conscious of like, how can I work this character? And like, even just a little thing like that scene where Teddy tells Pasak, you know, like hit them in the leg or whatever. Cause she knows where that person's weak spot is was something I was like, okay, like how, uh -huh. how can I make more interactions there? And the fact that it manifested, you know, so well in that relationship, I, I thought that was a really useful, it was nice to kind of like have that extra day to, to talk about what was working and what wasn't. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I mean, I was feeling so much anxiety, like, as I mean, Emma kind of mentioned this earlier about how like, I translated the anxiety I was feeling about hierarchy into Pasak's character. Mm -hmm. But like, I as a person was feeling so much anxiety, playing someone on the lower ranks, like, because because I mean, Pasak and also myself, have big personalities. And I'm like, am I not going to be able to do anything I want to do? Am I just going to have to like step into line? Um, and, and I, yeah, after the first day, I like talked to everybody and was like, Hey, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. Ah! <laughs> and, um, Those actual words. I, I just, just ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, Dana, I really, really appreciate how you then like, used Teddy to bring Pasak into things like with the sword thing, but also just like, I don't know the way the ending unfolded everything. I mean, I just, I just appreciate that talking about that actually went somewhere and it wasn't just like, Oh, shut up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> it was interesting because I, this is probably the most I've ever actually played as opposed to running a game. Right. And it was a very different perspective, but it was nice to have a lot of that experience running a game because I could kind of sit back and let David handle most of obviously running the game because that's what <laughs> right. But at the same time, kind of having being a DM gives you a lot of experience and like, you know, learning how to fur things off to other people, make sure everybody gets involved. And it was nice to be able to use some of that. And another interesting thing I was thinking about, because I think you had talked about this before we started playing gel. Um, you joked about how, like, you had a hard time playing characters that are mean. Yeah, uh, I like to be you, nice. Well, you talked about Strathmill from the uh, Ghost Lines arc. Yeah. Where it's like, and I, I liked that character. Oh, um, thanks. But they're de they definitely were not, like, full-on asshole. They were more just kind of gruff. Yeah. And I think, 
I think it's interesting because I don't have, obviously don't have that problem of, <laughs> of like feeling bad. Cause I, and I, I'd be curious how you feel about this, David, as someone who's run a lot of games. Like when you, if you were going to play a lot of NPCs, you can't have all of them be nice. So you generally have to get good at playing like mean people. And I do a lot of that. Like there's a lot of just awful people on games that I've run. And so it's not that hard to just slip into that for a play. As long as you know, you they still have to have some likable qualities, but it was, I don't find it that hard. I'd be curious how you feel about it. Yeah, I don't, I've definitely played characters who it was very intentional that the characters dislike them. I think for me, um, and this actually harkens back to part of the discussion that we had on meddling way back. Yeah. Uh, where, where we, we had the, back, yeah. uh, feel, man, time, huh? September, uh, <laughs> so three months. Uh, but in that conversation, I talked a little bit about how I, one of my core like approaches to character building is, is like nuance and motivations and like, uh, no, no character is bad. Uh, they, they might be doing bad things, but they feel like they have reasons and justification for it. Um, and so I think when I'm playing those characters, I just sort of slip into that headspace. And so like, yes, I might be being an asshole or I might be like being cruel, um, but for that character, it makes sense. Yeah. And so I don't. It's a it's a crazy thing how much like we as humans can rationalize away. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's wild. Uh, and and this isn't like true of like bad people. This is true about all people. Yeah. We can all rationalize stuff away. Uh, and so I think for me, when I'm when I'm playing a character, that's I similarly, I don't struggle with those negative things as much. I will. I, I get really bad secondhand embarrassment, uh, like I, IRL. Like, I can't watch some television shows or movies because, like, they play yeah. up the, dr- the dr- dramatic comedic irony in a way that makes me just grossly uncomfortable. Yeah, a lot um, of comedies are no-goes yeah. in this house. <laughs> uh, and that is definitely something that can come out. That's why, like, I don't think I've ever played, like, uh, there's, like, a couple of exceptions to this rule for reasons, but, like, I don't particularly play any horny NPCs because like <laughs> generally that's being played for comedy and there's some sort of thing around that. And it just makes me uncomfortable, like just straight up. Uh, and I don't know. I find yeah. some of that role play at the table to be harder for me than like displays of cruelty or something like that. It's so f- which, which is like, <laughs> bad, no, I kind of get that. But at the f- same time, it's so funny to me that you say that because like, so, so I mean, not that the world needs to know this about me, but I'm not like a very horny person at all in real life. Um, it's very, it is actually for the, kind of for that reason, very fun for me to play horny characters um, because it just like, it's, it's such an exaggeration um, for me that like, it's just, it's just out of the realm of possibility that it doesn't feel uncomfortable at all. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's very interesting to me that that kind of character is, is, uh not fun for you it very interesting for for, mm-hmm. for me i have to go to some kind of extreme uh i have a a, a druid npc in a dnd game i run who's is who's plant sexual uh <laughs> and uh god she's over the top and and like she's just a total caricature of that i think for me like at any time it borders it all on Veggie real yeah <laughs> that's sexual exactly yeah uh she knows how to make fronds <laughs> oh, she sure does uh, uh we're not gonna <laughs> we won't dip so into any puns. of that it's it's all puns and it's a good time one uh, of the things i really appreciate about pasak is that they are horny on main 
but they're not pushy. Yeah. 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 We love consent. I did find yeah. that bit where they were like flirting with Teddy to be really funny because I'm like, Teddy's like 40. You are a child to them. There is nothing that is going to happen here. I don't know what you are thinking. <laughs> yeah. I, I, one brief thing I just wanted to come back to and say is I definitely... It, it was always funny because there was a lot of lines where I said, like, I know that there's that bit where Teddy says, like, let's hope he was in, is as incompetent and deaf as he was in life. There's a lot of lines like that where y'all, like, react to it. And in the... I could see it much more clearly listening back. But in the moment, I, I was always... I'm always surprised. I'm like, I didn't think that was as, like, edgy or provocative <laughs> as it was. But... Yeah. It's, it's I a, love how stuff like that comes together. Yeah, and I definitely like I was I was like, oh, I really was mean, wasn't I? I was really mean. I was into it at the table. I was a mean character. Wow. Yeah. Uh so um that's some of the behind the scenes stuff that was floating around during this game. Uh I want to make sure we have time to get through. We have a fair number of listener questions. Yes. Uh yeah. we won't dip into a ton of specifics for everything. Cause again, we I want to try to wrap up in another 35 minutes or so here. Um but we'll start off with a, a softball, a nice softball uh, from uh, Toda's very own uh, Pat, Patty if you're nasty, <laughs> alternative, Big Patty Pat. <laughs> my my brother who who played in uh, Apocalypse World and in Birdwood Bay and is in our forthcoming game on Monster of the Week. Um, he asks... Oh, Pat's your brother? What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> You're fine. I thought we definitely mentioned that in the Brindlewood Bay setup, but might not it might, it's, I think it might be a very offhand comment. I might have comment, skipped the so. Brindlewood Bay setup, so that's probably right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Dana. There Sorry. it is. Uh, no. Oh, oh, well, actually, <laughs> if you if you get a free hour, uh, it's probably our best setup episode. It and Ghost Lines compete for that title, I think, yeah. uh, for being just a real fun. Um, I was behind. If you just want to listen to chaos, that's basically how it is. Yeah. Anyways, please right. uh, Sorry. Yeah, so yeah, Pat's my brother, by the way. Hey, everybody. Uh, but anyway, Pat asks, uh, what starter Pokemon would your character choose? Uh, and so wait, does it have to be a starter or can it be any Pokemon? Uh, I'm going to say it can be any Pokemon. Then I would pick um, you too. Oh, yeah, that's real. <laughs> yes. That's fair. Yes. Uh-huh. Edgy. Yep. Thinks they're the smartest person in the room. <laughs> I see now that the circumstances of one's birth are immaterial. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But Pasak is still a horny idiot. <laughs> that is what they've chosen uh, to do with the gift of life. <laughs> anyone else? Anyone else? What else? picks, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. picks for Fee. Mm hmm. Um, Jell, do you know? Because. I'll, I'm going to lose some nerd cred here, but the last Pokemon game I seriously played was Crystal all the way back in Gen 2. So my knowledge is not entirely up to date. Um, okay, typing. I feel like Erdo would go for definitely something that's stone or ground type. Mm. I like that. Oh, I hate to say this, but what about the one that's literally a big pile of garbage accumulated together? Which I don't say because they're a garbage... <laughs> well, no, no, not because they're a garbage character, but because they're collecting stuff yeah. all the time. Oh, my God. There's literally oh. a Pokemon. There's gar- garbage I mean, it, right? Yeah. For, for that reason, I could see something like... Uh, there's a new crow Pokemon uh, <laughs> who's a, a flying steel type. Uh, oh, yeah. I... <sighs> I'm is there like a it's is there like an enchanted suit of armor or something in Sword and Shield? Oh, oh there's definitely a, a, a shield, a suit of armor. There's a, just a, it's just a big psychic, psychic steel, I think. Yeah, I mean, that or would it might be, be good. ghost steel. I think it is ghost. That'd be good for Erdo as well. Yeah, 
Um, I was actually thinking that Aaron, if you wanted something rock, it's a little little rock. I think he goes. Oh yeah, rock I remember that on, dude. But he grows like big and like tough, which mm-hmm. I, I sort of like imagine Erdo is. She's she's pretty and. Oh yeah, she physically is a, a tank. I think. Yeah. Weirdly, I feel like Cubone for Pasak, maybe just because they have a helmet, and so mm. when they get horny bonked, it won't hurt as much. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. I'm like, I'm like looking through a list of Pokemon starters. Like, they're, I don't know. Like the one that that is vibing with me most is Scorbunny. Um, mm. Oh yeah, no, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Actually, that um, firefighting. Although I gotta say, Cubone. <laughs> Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the joke was there. Uh, I'll, throw, I'll, I'll throw a bonus one out there for uh, for bonus. The... Oh my god! Oh, sorry, god. I'm done. <laughs> now I'm just, now I'm just uh, picturing Pasak wearing their dead mom's helmet as a, or skull no, as a helmet. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I'll throw one out there for for DNS for the field marshal. Uh, she just have a geo, dude. Yeah, that's so on point. Yeah. Do I think she just seemed to like like you're 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 a rock. Excellent. <laughs> like, also, another pair of arms, right? You know, she got the prosthetic yeah, arms. Yeah. Be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. You know what? I thought of one for Pasak. Melodic. Oh, I love melodic. Excellent. A shiny melodic. Uh, they would absolutely uh, like to go shiny, to the yeah. go to the effort to get yeah. a shiny. <laughs> I believe that about them. Okay. All right. Uh, so then let's move on to some other questions. Oh, I should. Oh yeah. No, I already said that was from Pat. Okay. Cool. All right, so this we next have a set of five questions uh, from Scredley the Ogre on Discord. Uh, starting Hi, with Scredley. one for uh, for Emma. Uh, oh. What was the inspiration for the blackberries since that symbolism was so powerful? Oh, I actually have a good answer for this. Um, when I was somewhere between the age of nine and 12, I don't remember exactly what age I was, uh, I went with my mom to a women's retreat that was like out in the Missouri Hills somewhere. Um, and it was like a weekend long thing. It was pretty nice. We were staying in some cabins. Uh, but while we were there, one of the things we did was go blackberry picking. And that was like a really formative memory for me. I think it was the first time that I'd ever gone foraging for any kind of food like that. Um, and so it really stuck in my head and has continued to stick in my head. Uh, and so when imagining this little civilization up in the mountains, one of the first things that popped into my head was blackberry picking and probably something about it being a women's retreat and all of that probably stuck in there as well. But it seemed pretty natural to go that way. And I think it was a David innovation then to uh, do the comparison of the blackberry juice and the blood. That was good. Uh, that was that was all. Yeah, you. I think that was I think uh, that was yeah. Emma. And Sorry, I just I just wanted to say that I love so much that there is actually a good answer for that because when I saw that question, <laughs> I was like, because in the moment I I felt like you were just like nah, blackberries, like I thought it was just like <laughs> I don't know, it was just something you picked randomly. So I love that there is actually a story there. I definitely it was very like subconscious. I think when I oh sure I was thinking about it because only when I like was confronted with the fact that that was a choice that I made did I kind of query myself as to why yeah one one slight behind the scenes there uh was emma actually added that little detail during a break so i think i think it might be noticeable in the um in the blooper reel for that that like i think i included some of the stuff around that that led emma to that statement yeah um but 
in in the final cut, it you you wouldn't know that it came from somewhere else. Um, like from I did a lot of fine tuning for that part of the episode, so um, it just it just flows. But yeah, no, that was a total total Emma detail. Okay. That was great. Star to uh, David for the editing. <laughs> yeah, and then of course I just had to I had to bring it back later. Um, with with the meeting by the blackberry bushes. Yes, yeah, that killed me. To show that bit. time had passed. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so second question from Scradley. We have uh, for Dana. Uh, the music was wonderful. Can you give any insight into your process for the watch's music? I can give and too I know, much insight. <laughs> I, yeah, I know in Discord we you were like I could give a five hour speech on this. So uh, a little shorter. Yes, but go ahead. I will do my best. Um, so as David mentioned, it's very thematic, which is how I tend to write. I tend to like to have uh, light motifs or just musical ideas to represent different things and whatnot in the story, and then to just basically layer and repurpose and whatnot them as they're needed. It saves a lot of time, among other things, but it also tends to keep things cohesive. So I would say there's probably about eight different musical ideas that reoccur. Um, So the first things that I wrote pretty much right after the game ended was themes for all the characters. So Fees is kind of, it's written in three, four time, kind of like a waltz, and it is on a flute. So it has a little bit of a vaguely... Celtic kind of vibe, which just seemed to fit the character. Um, and and I definitely wanted something that was very uh, sad kind of sounding and kind of distant, um, mm-hmm. which and, and spacey. Like the character's a little flighty, so I wanted that kind of vibe to come through. Not like completely airheaded, but but sort of distant. Um, uh, arrows, I actually really like because they do have a melody that's kind of played on a low cello sound but really actually the main musical idea that ends up being associated with them is actually very percussive and i actually i have this drum kit this sort of package of samples on my software ableton live that's literally just called scrap metal um and so i just used (laughs) that and it's there's this very like all these different yeah all these different like just objects smacking against each other and it creates this very like kind of almost like a junkyard band kind of a sound oh yeah is actually probably one of my I really, really love because it's on a hammer dulcimer, which is one of my favorite instruments. I use it a lot. It's on the main. I love the dulcimer. Yes, and <laughs> and to be just to kind of have some fun with it. It's written in seventeen uh, eight time, which basically means usually you would have groups of eight notes. Yeah, like kind of a nice. So it would be eight 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 eight. So you'd have. 16-8, which you wouldn't really call it that, but that's what it would be. Uh-huh. And so it's it's 17-8. So basically every 16-8 notes is when it should reset, but there's always one extra eighth note. And just to kind of give the sense of it pushing against the structure that should be in place. I love that so much. I mean, I, I really love, love the Sox theme. And yeah. I, I love knowing that extra detail. Yeah. And so if you listen, you don't even necessarily notice it too much, but if you listen, there'll be like one extra just hit at the end, if you try to count through <laughs> normally, if you try to go one, two, three, four, there'll be one extra little bump at the end. And then I absolutely love that. Teddy's is very, um, I wanted something that had a lot of emotional layers to it because she's someone that keeps a lot of that hidden. So it can kind of play as sad or menacing or um, bittersweet. There is one bit, I think it happens a couple times when she's doing something aggressive where there'll be this kind of percussive sound. And that's literally um, just another kit that I have, which is a bunch of noises that come from smacking a cello. So the the theme is actually written on like string instruments. And then the percussive stuff is just literally smacking those same instruments. Love that. Um, and then there's a handful of other 
ideas. There's one for the shadow, which is, I think, one of the first things you hear, actually, when David says it's been a year since the shadow came. You hear there's this theme. It's like, dun, 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 dun. And that reappears in a lot of different forms. Like when Teddy enters and communicates with the shadow, it's there, but it's just like a very low, drawn-out drone. It's the same notes, though. Um, And then... Parda got a theme, which you kind of hear in her scene, because I wanted something that went with that, so that could play off of mm-hmm. Teddy's theme. And then Deannis slash The Watch kind of got a, a theme, too, which you hear when the group is... You hear it a few places. You hear it when Erdo's walking through the camp. You hear it when the group is underground. And you hear it when they meet Deannis and she's detailing the mission. And also, I guess, a little bit, when you hear it for Deannis, as another little note, a lot of the instrumentation is... Uh, there's a instrument set that I have, which is just a lot of sample, like gear sounds and moving things like that. I wanted something that kind of echoed, you know, the whole mechanical arm thing. And oh, that's so cool. So, so yeah. So and Hell there's yeah. there's and then I actually something I learned a lot from doing this is I didn't write. I wrote a lot for the first. I wrote everything for the first, and then progressively less and less. Till I think the last two episodes, I don't know that I wrote anything new, and that actually taught yeah. me because usually for meddling, I just write everything new for every episode, and I was like, oh, I don't really have to do that as much, do I? Because I heard, I listened I listened <laughs> to David like put it together. I was like, oh, this actually still sounds pretty much fine. Like it sounds about how it would if I had written everything. I'm sure I would have made some new choices and whatnot, but I, and doing this whole thing was a lot of fun. Doing the music was a lot of fun. I got to really try a lot of different instruments and stuff. I really, it's something I have a lot of fun with when I do a different art for meddling or whatever, where I end up locked into a set of ideas and things like that. And I get tired of them by the end. And so it's nice to do something different and just to try a whole different set of choices and everything. I've contained that as tight as I could. I'm sorry. No, no you did good. I absolutely love how much thought and intention you put into every single piece. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And every every time I get to hear you, like, analyze how you put together your music, uh, I always get to to think about, like, how differently. Because, like, I think a lot about how I use music. But of course, I don't think about the music itself as much. Yeah. I, I think about like the emotional beats and stuff it strikes. And then I, I think about like how to thread it in. But like I am thinking about totally different things when I'm putting it in than you're thinking about when you write it, even though yeah. you're it, it, it does the same thing. It's so weird just like to hear about different ways you can approach the same problem. Yeah. Right. So and I mean, I've been doing this for well over a decade at this point. So like I've built up a lot of those skills. Um and I will say, like, I, I was very happy. Like, I had some nerves about how it was going to turn out just with not writing everything. And then when I heard it, I was like, I, mm-hmm. I felt like you really, without me having to say too much, understood what, like, you made a lot of the same decisions I would, which, of course, means they're correct. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, Hi, like, Teddy. it really, like, like the, yeah, again, she's not that different from me. <laughs> um, but uh, I felt like that lined up really well. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm very much like we should put, economize we should put things. The music out on your Patreon or something if you want to. You have all of it. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, it's it's your music. It is, you wrote it, but so. I would I would probably be okay with that. I think we can talk about that. Okay. Well, we'll we'll yeah, we'll talk about that out, outside of this. But next one. Um. <laughs> Uh, so next question. Uh, this one's for me. Uh, we know that Fee said that Pasak's brother was gone. Does that mean that he's a cog somewhere or that he's dead? Um. This was left a little bit ambiguous in the beginning. Um, and I don't think I would probably pull on that thread again. Uh, I, I think that Pasak's brother's dead. I think, I think Loma died. Um, I think that Loma was part of trying, like just part of the chaos trying to, to help people where they could. And I don't think that they made it through. Yeah. Um, and 
sad, but I I, I think more. we yeah yeah it is. Uh, and we didn't answer like in the story we didn't answer that directly directly. Although we do get from Fee that like Pasak's brother Loma is dead mm-hmm. and and her thing. So and I I would I would confirm that that is true information that that Fee had. So. Not um, everyone makes it out alive. Not everyone makes it out in one piece, and not everyone gets to be loved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, ne- next question: uh, With the retaking of the city, uh, this talking about Dolmont, uh, will it be resettled? Uh, will the den be resettled as well? Um, I think the goal of the watch of this operation, uh, with the specifically our crew's you know role in it. Uh, was to basically prevent the main operation from being flanked. Um, so while that might happen, I think especially because they ended up bringing everyone back with them, they probably won't uh, resettle it. I think probably that's that's the end of Dolmont as as we know it until after the war is over. Probably. Yeah, until mm-hmm. the shadow is defeated. Yeah. Interesting. So it might be eventually, but I don't see the watch doing that. Very interesting. They make men- sense. They mentioned the den being resettled. That that would be interesting to see, like if there's just such a now, especially in that area, a deficit of fixins. If that, like, if yeah. he is like, all right, well, we didn't we didn't like you, but now you're all that's left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you get into this really interesting circumstance where, like, under duress, culture and religion changes. Um, yeah, so it'd be really interesting to see how that tradition evolves. Oh, um, um on that note. I would love to see Fee essentially help, like, essentially found the Vixen reformation where instead of, like, killing your fox, you, like, train with it, you know, uh, yeah. like, a, like a, you know, a dog handler or something, you know? Um, that would be very cool. I mean, I, again... Things transform, things change. I could definitely yep. see that going differently in the future. So that'd be really cool to if see. If she's one of the last vixens left, I mean, right. I definitely see that absolutely being the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last question, the the last question we had uh, from Scredley is, uh, are Pasak and Fee still a couple after everything that has happened and what was said? Um, I leave this mostly up to you all. I don't know if I was interpreting it quite that way, the relationship, but I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you all have to say. I mean... I do want to say that I highly doubt that Pasak is monogamous. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with the implications in the cell at the end. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I think that, um, I don't know. That's It is a good question as to whether they would, I mean, Pasak does, does still call Fee love, um, but yeah. it could also just be, you know, Pasak's way of speaking. Um, I don't know, Emma, what do you think? I think that the bond that Pasak and Fee share uh, is much deeper than whether or not they're sleeping together. Yeah, no, I actually, uh, I, oh, yeah. I, I deeply agree with that. Um, I think that they are always going to be in each other's lives and they're always going to matter to each other um, because at the end of the day, no matter what, they're family. Right. Uh, I also think that if they have a decent amount of attraction for each other, neither of one, neither one of them is particularly like embarrassed about getting down and dirty. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so, couple is a strong word, but they're definitely. I, I don't think that much has changed as far as that goes. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that, like, yeah, we had a a big fight 
And then we had a big fight. <laughs> clang, <Yep>. clang. <laughs> we also saved each other's lives. So, you know. Right. So It's war, baby. Nothing nothing that brings people together like quite like shared trauma. Indeed. They have a hell of a trauma bond, I would say. <laughs> and I think something that's interesting about that is it's easy to overlook because... You know, we're sort of thinking about ourselves a bit as we're playing. But both those characters are pretty young. I think they're oh yeah, twenty mm-hmm. at most, maybe a little older, a little younger. But uh, so I think I think there's an interesting space to explore there of like when you're in a very stressful, traumatic situation, it's easy to bond with someone, and then comes the time when you're out of it, and then you wonder like, what do you have outside of just like you said, trauma bonding? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that would be interesting. Yeah. I liked their relationship. It was very cute. And I felt like it was... Me too. It was... I appreciated that it wasn't just like... Like you said, it was more complicated than just sexual or even romantic. Right. It was very complicated. I felt like that helped it not take centered stage in a way that wasn't necessary. Like, we didn't need like a, you know, super generic romance arc through all of this. Right. It worked and it was more of just you are close. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I like that about it. Me too. Uh, so that was all of Scredley's questions. Uh, that moves us on to uh, a couple of questions from uh, Morshadi on Twitter. Uh, also, shout out to Morshadi for being our patron. Woo! Hi, Morshadi. We love you. Uh, we do, though. Thanks. For- uh, and, and also, he always gives us great questions. Uh, <laughs> just always. Thanks for and- giving us money to continue to run the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so seriously, like. Man, when we set out to make a podcast, I didn't realize how expensive podcasts could be. Dang. Uh, but yeah. but uh, it's, you know, it's great. Really enjoyed it. So uh, thank you again, Morshadi. Uh, and thank you for your question. What are they? Uh, I'm getting to it. <laughs> I'm almost there. Uh, I'm just so, watching the clock. I want yeah, to get through everything. I know. I know. Uh, so uh, they said uh, this game was filled with amazing emotional storytelling, uh, which leads to my questions. Uh, leading up to the mission, uh, much of it was role play, really deep stuff. Uh, until you got to the mission phase uh, where you plan out the next sequence. So for the players, did you feel like this mechanic was uh, like a tap on the brakes? Uh, Personally, I thought it was a good way to break immersion uh, and give people a chance to catch their breath before moving on to the next part. Um, So let's let's do that one first for the players. Uh, How did you feel about... We we talked about this already somewhat at length when talking about the system, but specifically like as far as how it affects pacing, how did you think about the mission phase? I mean, I'll just briefly say, like, I've been contrasting it to D&D, whereas, you know, combat in D&D is a little bit of mechanic, roleplay, mechanic, roleplay, mechanic, which is totally fine and can work. This was much more get all the mechanic out of the way and then just do roleplay, which I does not not every system needs to be that way. But I did like it. It it, it was nice yeah. to kind of just do the mechanic stuff, focus on that and then, you know, do everything else after. I think that I was so uh, so focused on what I was doing with Fee and making sure that like the character stuff made sense. Uh, my head was so deep in the game at that point. I don't even really remember particularly breaking character or anything like that when we were rolling for the mission phase. I vaguely remember... And I do mean vaguely. I operate most often on medium and short-term memory. Um, I vaguely remember occasionally, you know, piping in with some, you know, 
military detail like, oh, yeah, you know, make sure to walk below the crests of hills, you know, explaining the no fires thing, I think, etc. Yeah, I remember that. But I, I don't think it was like immersion was broken. If anything, it kind of brought us into the world in a different way. So I know I love I love the mission mechanic personally. Yeah, I mean, I do think that it was definitely a break in terms of a way of playing, like a way of thinking about what your characters are doing and how you're interacting with the world um, and each other. Um, but like, I think I still felt completely immersed for sure, I think. Interesting. So this is actually really cool then uh, because I, I think uh, part, of, part of his point was that uh, from, a, from the listening perspective, um, after having all of this deep emotional role play, then moving into the mission phase, which the first portion is lots of discussion and rolling and, and figuring out, you know, g- the gamification part of it, right? Before we get back to the role play, um, it provided kind of a, a nice little break, <laughs> gives the audience a chance to breathe before moving on to the next piece. Oh, sure. And it sounds, it sounds to me that from the player perspective, it was just more of the game. And like it didn't there there wasn't so much that sensation of like stepping away and then coming back. It was more just a different facet of the game. Is that what I'm gathering? Yeah, I mean a comma. I a comma, not a full stop. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like it's like, I don't know, looking through a triangular shaped kaleidoscope instead of a square one. Does that make any sense? <laughs> uh no, not to me at least. Okay, well can't win them all. <laughs> Uh, Actually, I think all kaleidoscopes are triangular. So yeah, I was gonna okay. <laughs> Next, uh, yeah. So so then the the last question from uh, Morshadi was for the MC. That's me. Uh, this game was intense, even though it is a PBTA game. Blah, blah, blah. Even though it is a PBTA game, it seems like there was a lot more details that needed to go into world building than usual. What pitfalls did you run into uh, with world building that you would suggest people watch out for when running their own game? Um, I think there's a reason why we ended up with two setup episodes for this one <laughs> yeah. because, uh, and I, th- I think I say this in the setup, the world building of the watch, if you go through all of the steps that they have outlined in the book, is really an entire gaming session unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to go through with all that, it's going to be a, a whole time. So yes, there was definitely a lot more than usual. Um, and I think the pitfalls that people should look out for when it comes into into actually going ahead and doing all that is just I think when you're going into that when you're going into the world building uh, if you're the one who's going to be running the story um I think you need to already have partly developed or be in the process of developing which parts of of that world building you think are most interesting and or the table thinks are most interesting um so then you know which pieces to invest in up front and which to sort of set as background staging, right? Because like one element of the watch that's like a one of the things as the MC you can do at any point is just like sort of bring clan politics into it. And we had hashed out some of our high level clan politics, but that didn't really make its way into this story, right? Whereas like in a longer campaign, like across the course of it, it, it might very well, right? Um but you need to know where you're starting so that you can make sure that you build out all of the features that you need immediately and then anything else you can flesh out over time. I think since you're doing so much world building, it's you just have to 
do your best to not over-prepare things that you're not going to use for six months, right? Um, but I do think the watch is right that with the the depth of character that it tries to push you to very quickly, and, and that I think in our story we achieved very quickly, um, I think you do need a fairly lived-in world. Um, and so I don't think any of the world building we did was wasted. I agree. Um, because mm-hmm. it, it gave us a world for our characters to live in, which then let us dig deeper into the characters. Um, so that's how I would say to approach it. And if you approach it with that in mind, like what you need from it first in mind, and then what you need broadly in mind, um, I think you can avoid any serious pitfalls with doing all of that setup. Can I add a thing? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, another, uh, thing that I feel like is a potential pitfall, depending on the group that you're playing with, is just making sure that everybody at the table is comfortable with the decisions you're making. Yeah. Um, because there are questions about like what the shadow can do, how it appears, what it does to different uh, places and to people. And with the heavy, uh, the heavy metaphor and also just the, the subject matter that this game is pulling from, um, making sure that everybody, like, I think that one of the reasons the questions are there is for a, a certain level of consent. Uh, to be sort of baked in. Um, so making sure everybody understands that, like, if they have feelings about any of it, that they can and should speak up about it is really important. That it's it's not just what the MC says goes. Yeah. Yeah, I think consent, such an important piece of the watch. Mm-hmm. We love um, consent. All, all TTRPGs, but I think any game that, very intentionally digs into some potentially triggering topics the way that the watch does consent 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 got to be got to be careful got to be clear uh, and you got to be willing to have conversations midway about how people's comfort is and how all that's going so plus sure. very very anti-patriarchy to center consent and enshrine yes. it so hell yeah 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 for sure um, so that brings us past all of our listener questions that were submitted ahead of time. We have a couple of minutes left, and I know that both Jell and Nix had sort of said that they might have some questions for the group. Uh, so we can try to hit those before we close for today. Oh, and let's not forget Fuck, Mary Kill. Oh, yeah. Let's do oh, that right. Yeah, let's first, do Fuck, Mary because, Kill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. We cannot not do that. All right. Uh, all right. Fuck, Mary Kill. Let's start with Emma with, with Fee. Fuck, Mary Kill. Uh... Fuck Pasak. <laughs> really? <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, kill Teddy. Sorry, Teddy. No, that, that, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I would have been offended if you didn't say that. And uh, marry Erdo. <laughs> uh, so, next for Erdo. How about you? God. Uh, um, I'm just going to say first that it, a little part of me thought marry Teddy. Uh, because gotta keep the family together, which might be... Yeah. Um, so then which one of your children do you kill? <laughs> <laughs> and which one do you fuck? This is just the killing of a sacred deer now, is what this is. Oh, God, this is a great and terrible idea. Um, Mary Teddy... <sighs> and then... And then, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm agonizing. I'm taking too long. Um, 
fuck Pasak Kilfi. Yeah. Wow. Who wouldn't fuck Pasak? That's the thing, right? <laughs> Pasak's got that grade S thembo en- energy. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so for Pasak, fuck Mary Kill. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think I'm going to go fuck Teddy because uh, when else uh, are they going to get the chance? <laughs> Not outside of this hypothetical game, that's for sure. That's right. <laughs> um, Mary uh, Fee, just because you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, they have they have so much um, shared trauma. It's you know, how could that possibly go wrong? Um, and uh, <laughs> kill Erdo because fuck authority. No, I mean like <laughs> no kill authority. Shut up, mom. <laughs> I think if it's an option, I might actually change it to Erdo killing Erdo. What? She would very much. She would very much be like, like I mean, oh. Mama Bear, right? She, oh my gosh, she would absolutely throw herself on a sword first rather than watch her squad fall. Uh, so Dana for for I'm Teddy, just kill uh, all y'all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like it's very obvious to me. At least it's probably. A, again, everybody but Erdo's a child to her, so I don't even know what fuck even means in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the spiritual, the the metaphorical sense. Um, Mary Erdo, uh, just, you know, uh, maybe she just married Pasak so she could divorce them. But but no, Mary Mary Erdo. put them through a divorce. Yes. God, more shared trauma. uh, Mary, Mary Erdo, fuck... Fee, because Fee would probably at least be quiet for most of it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, kill Pasak. Just because just, just there's enough residual animosity there to do that. Oh, oh my God. I thought that you so made the character decision for Fee that she's very loud. <laughs> it's I, I, I think, it's... yeah, maybe Teddy assumes that that's mostly Pasak's influence. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> You can be loud as a hell you want when you're making love. Thank you. Uh, okay, we got fuck Mary kill out of the way. Uh, what what questions do the two of you have? We'll we'll make space for it. Uh, Nick, do you want to go first? I mean, I guess honestly, a lot of the vi- I didn't have any specific questions in mind. I mostly had vibes, and I feel like most of those vibes have been hit. Like, okay, we've already kind of talked a bit about what we would see like the next sessions or arcs being for characters and this world and with all these folks and i don't know my my curiosity in that sense is sated okay uh gel um my number one question was actually like i just kind of wanted to discuss what pieces of yourselves you put into your characters dana already went into a lot on that um and I mean, I know Nick so well, <laughs> like, uh, I know a lot of that already, but Emma, I would love to know. And I mean, I don't know, maybe Nick's, maybe Nick's, you'd like to talk about it for the, the audience. Um, yeah, I'll share briefly. And I'd love to hear from Emma as well. Sure. Um, yeah, when it comes to Erdo, I really put a lot of my, I don't know, personal mama bear energy. I don't want to see anyone I love or care for fall under any kind of harm. And I feel like I'm good at organizing and directing things. So all of that mushed together with a hint of my recycling ambitions and you wind up with Erdo, I guess. Right. Heck yeah. Um, 
for fee, uh, probably the biggest part of my personality that came through it, uh, which was a little bit, uh, a little bit muted because of the time period this is happening in, and, and it was more a backstory thing. But like the animal lover, oh hell yeah, in it uh, was a big part of it. Um, probably also the quiet bit of me and the. Uh, the at certain points the inability to deal with more difficult decisions oh sure like running away um, or not talking to Pasak until it was too late um, that's a that's a part of myself that I am working on hey no better great. way than on at a tabletop <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Broadcast right? to the public. <laughs> uh, I'd actually love to throw this question to David too for like the NPCs he built, where the where either the parts of yourself that came through or just the inspiration for for some of it. Yeah, uh, I know a little bit for one, but yeah, I I don't particularly put myself into my characters. Um, that's not like how I how I character design. I think of it like I have an idea for a character, and then I just try to be that idea. Um, so like, f- again, like for me, like, that's just not how I, how I conceive and, and I relate to that. Um, but I, I did like have source ideas for most of the NPCs. Um, Deannis is based off of a character that I created for uh, a D and D game. Uh, she was the leader of this, uh, very militarized mermaid city because the oceans are incredibly dangerous in that world. I'm sorry. So, excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. You created. Oh, you're right. Well, I sorry, I played her later, so I'd I'd sort of forgot that it was be I I I stole her from your one shot. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no. That is the thing. I steal so many characters from other things that <laughs> you've played some wow. of my characters in your games, haven't you? Like Percival? I've absolutely st- yep, I've absolutely stolen Percival and some others. <laughs> uh I yeah, I straight up cribbed. Yeah, no. Uh, uh em, well, uh, Emma wrote a one shot uh, in D&D that was based off of uh, 1917. Uh, vaguely it was and, 1917 with mermaids yeah with mermaids uh and it, it took place in that community uh and so so she invented Deannis, and then i stole her when everyone in the campaign ended up in that city later uh and and played her for a while uh and then when i needed a field marshal i i knew it was going to be Deannis. uh she's like different um in many ways but in many other ways she's the same character mm-hmm. um so that's like her origins um who else really came up? Parda. Oh, uh, God. Parda is also based off of a, a in many. Well, she's different. Parda's an interesting one. Um, Parda is more based off of an emotional idea than like a another character, particularly um, since Teddy had made this made her whole decision uh, around killing Parda's brother and putting Parda into power. Um and that was based on the fact that she believed that Parda was the best person suited for the role. Um, I, with me, as I was building Parda's character, I think the goal was Parda is the idea that Teddy was was right, probably, but that it's not something Parda would have chosen for herself. Mm. Um, and so Parda's character is rooted in that unfair loss of her her own autonomy. Yeah. Um, and that was like the core conceit with how I played her. Um, you and I actually talked about this a little bit in the past week where I was, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about that relationship. And I, I think 
I, 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 you, you said it really well, which is that Teddy was probably right, but that wasn't really the point. Because I think even perhaps if they had talked about it, Parta might have understood and maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe found a plan that didn't involve killing her brother or something, but probably would yeah. would have gotten it or at least been sympathetic. And Teddy was just afraid, a- afraid that Parta might not go along with the plan that would cost them everything, afraid of asking her to do something. And so just does what she thinks is you know, the nice thing in a way, but of course it's just <laughs> taking away someone's autonomy. And I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I just would love to, I I hope we get to do a part two because I would love to explore that a lot more. Oh, hell yeah. And we fun. set up the chance, you, you, you teased it so well at the end there, the chance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've legit thought about commissioning someone to like do webcomic panels of scenes. Yes. Hello. This is also good. I do drawings. <laughs> Hello. I have, I have dollar dollar bills. <laughs> Y'all. Uh, all right. Uh, before we d- d- digress too far into just talking about what we could more, more we could do, we are technically out of time. Um, so thank you everyone for joining me for this post-apocalypse for for discussing the system. Thank you for joining me for the game. It was incredible fun to play it with you Woo! all. Um, and I'm like so proud of what we put together by the end oh, of it. It's so amazing, so, so cool. Hell yeah, so good. Um, as far as what's next and upcoming for Tota. Uh, after this episode, we are taking a break uh, until mid-January. We do not have a release in two weeks. Uh, we might put out a little Patreon teaser thing that Pat and I are working on, but we'll see if we have it ready by then. Um, but otherwise, uh, you're going to expect to hear from us the second Wednesday of January, which is the 12th. Yeah, uh, we'll be returning January 12th with our setup episode for Monster of the Week, uh, where we... Uh, <laughs> what <laughs> I said I said woot woot I was, oh, you said, woo. I was, oh, okay. I was trying I think... to hype you up my friend <laughs> I, I, how dare uh, because... you talk over my important <laughs> no, I because I, I was speaking and I was like I'm wearing earphones right now so like all that's being reflected in my brain I thought you said rude and I was like <laughs> That other people are playing Monster of the Week? Dang, yeah. Dana. Yeah. Dana played Monster of the Week first. You can't play that game, No David. one can do it as good it. as us. So. I mean, I mean we're not. Uh, I, so actually, that was like one of the reasons why we held off on playing Monster of the Week so long is that there's so many good Monster of the Week there podcasts, of, of course, meddling included. Um, and... Uh, I was like, well, if we're going to play it on the show, we have to do something, A, that feels good in a one-shot, um, because Monster of the Week's really good for longer-term play. So we have to do something that feels good in a one-shot, and we have to do something that, like, if some people have done it, no one's really broadcasting it. Um, and so that's how we settled on Monster of the Week in space, inspired by Star Trek, Futurama, and... Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, it's, it's wild. It's going to be a good time. Um, <laughs> it, it's... I will say it. It's our funniest arc. It's yeah. Do you remember how earlier you said how uh, if you're going to have four strong personalities, it needs to be a comedy? Yes. And welcome to Ghost Lines. Or, sorry. Welcome to Ghost Lines. Welcome no. to Words. Welcome, welcome to Words. Uh, welcome to Monster of the Week. That's exactly how we're going. Oh, Lord. Uh, look, look forward to that in January. It's a wild, wild time. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us for The Watch. It's been a lovely, lovely time. And we will play with you again next time we don't have a sign off for this show we interrupt your 
scheduled audio programming to bring you this message from Ghost on a Train. All right, guys, I'll ask the question we always ask when we encounter something. Uh, does anyone recognize them? Uh, Hannah, you look like you have something. I mean, that's the question you usually ask when our characters run into a ghost so we can collaborate, but right now we're doing a promo, not playing. Are you talking about yourself? You're Greg, you're the GM. Is this a bit? We always do bits, Hannah. But your character, Andrel, isn't the one leading the bolts. That's Stefan's character, Drix. Stefan, what's Drix's first move? Uh, do, do any of these moves work on promos? Normally we're a team of three goons keeping ghosts off of our train. But I guess Drix is going to try and impress the listeners with a rope trick. Awesome. What do you think you would employ to impress a listener? Finesse, right? I mean, obviously, Drix is a show-off. Guy, you spoke before anyone could organically say your name. Quick, introduce yourself, and what's your character, Pip, doing? Oh, you just introduced me. I'm Guy, and Pip's going to take a little bit something to, to warm him up through the promo. You're taking Greg's weird promo bit in stride. Well, Hannah, that's because I know listeners have already decided to hear our journey to bust the biggest ghost, the Immortal Emperor! But you guys don't even know if he's a ghost. Boxcars, I rolled two sixes. The listeners are going to check out Ghosts on a Train, where we play Ghost Lines by our man J-Dog, a.k.a. John Harper. Wait, we don't personally know John. We can't say that. <laughs> Shut it, Greg. We're going to kill the J-Man's Immortal Emperor. You can't just... We're going to bust this whole thing wide open. Yeehaw! Listen to Ghost on a Train, a Ghost Lines actual play. Take a trip on the Bride of Duskwall, an electric train protected by these three, uh, professionals. Professionals.